Well, it was one of my earliest mission trips to Nicaragua, would have been in the mid-2000s, uh, when our team was taken into a place called La Chureca. It's actually the city dump in Managua. It was the very first time I entered there. About a thousand people at that time live right there in the city dump, about 50% of those being children. And even to this day, the sights and the smells, the whole experience was absolutely uh, overwhelming. We went in to La Chureca and visited actually a school that the Busbies had put right there in the middle of the dump, a place of hope for these children to have an opportunity to see a different lifestyle. Right behind the school, there was a little trail that led up a hill. I walked up that hill and stood on the top, and you could seemingly see the entirety of that dump. And standing up there and looking down at men and women and children uh, through burning piles of trash and uh, smoke everywhere as they're just trying to eke out anything they could find to uh, save for themselves or be able to sell in order to make uh, a living. It was clear as day, the Lord speaking to my heart through His Word. And with tears running down my face, trying to see, I think for the first time I actually did see and hearing God say, those are my people, my people. They're scattered and they're helpless. They're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see them? And all I could muster out was, yes, I see them. I see them. You know, Mother Teresa was called to live among the poor and destitute in a different part of our world in Calcutta. She touched and loved and cared for the unlovable, the discarded of society, and throughout her life and ministry, uh, on multiple occasions, she had the opportunity to visit the United States. And after one of those opportunities, an American reporter asked her uh, this question. He said, what's the poorest country you've ever been to? And her response was this, I've been to many countries and seen much poverty and suffering. Everywhere I go, people tell me of their hardships and struggles and ask for help, and I give them what I can. But of all the countries I've been to, the poorest one I've been to is America. Obviously unprepared for such an answer, the reporter informed Mother Teresa that America was actually one of the richest countries in the world and questioned, why would you say that it's the poorest? And she replied, America suffers very much from the poverty of loneliness. See, the country we live in most certainly is poor, not in terms of money, not in terms of possessions, not in terms of entertainment or pleasure, Certainly not in terms of technology or advancement in those uh, areas were undoubtedly the top. But there's more than just a way to be poor. Certainly there's a material poverty, but what Mother Teresa saw was likely a spiritual poverty, the emotional, the relational poverty in American lives as well. 
Which leads me to ask this morning, have you ever taken a deep look into your own heart? Beneath the luxury, beneath the stuff that we fill our lives with? And if you have, what do you see? When you look, what do you see? And then when you look out into the lives of others, what do you see? Well, today and over the next few weeks, we'll be taking a look at how each of us as followers of Jesus Christ are made for mission. Now, I realize I'm wading into some dangerous waters by putting the term mission out there. Much like if I said over the next few weeks, I'm going to do a series on evangelism. <laughs> and everyone's hands either get a bit clammy and sweaty or worse, you're able to just kind of shrug it off and go, whew, at least he's not talking to me, right? And for all my years in student ministry, we'd have these parent meetings where we'd talk about our summer missions and what the opportunities were. And undoubtedly, this statement question came up every single year. Pastor Todd, it sounds like you're trying to turn our kids into missionaries. My answer was always the same. Yeah, guilty as charged. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things we would drill down in our mission training each and every summer is this. And I want you to hang on this statement a little bit this morning. You are not a missionary because you go on a mission trip. You're a missionary because you're a Christian. We're not missionaries because we go out on a mission trip. We're missionaries because we've been brought into the family. And the name of Christ has been put as the banner over our Lives. And I don't know if you realized when Christ entered into your heart, not only did he give you a new identity, but he gave you a ministry. And in order to best understand how we're made for mission, we've got to understand ourselves in light of that mission. And so my goal for you this morning as we start this series is you'll just simply see this, that mission includes me. You're an integral part of God's mission. Over and over throughout Scripture, we will see this truth, that Christ is in you for them. Christ is in you for them. For the sake of those who don't know Christ, the nations, the people in your circles of influence, whether that be school or work relationships or in your community, whether that's the, those over in the Middle East or the poor in Nicaragua and everywhere in between, Christ is in you for them. If you're willing and able, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. This morning we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Starting in verse 35, you can follow along on the screen. We read, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, would you speak to us today through your word? Father, would you allow me to simply get out of the way? 
Because God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I believe you have something for us from this text this morning for this faith family in this time and place right here in Tallahassee. And so, Father, help our hearts to be that good soil that would receive your word where it would grow and produce much fruit. Father, any preconceived ideas or notions, hardships, difficulties that would block the hearing of your word, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move those out of the way so that we could genuinely hear from you. And as always, Father, we come to your word seeking so much more than information. We come seeking transformation. We'd be made more in the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we see here in Matthew's gospel that Jesus had already begun his ministry, a ministry that involved teaching and preaching and healing. That's what verse 35 tells us. And and as he went throughout all these towns, all these villages, preaching and teaching and healing people of every disease, we see that actually in the whole first half of the gospel of Matthew. But then here in chapter 9 and 10, we hit this point of transition where we move from more of a summary of what Jesus has done to now what Jesus is going to be doing by sending out his disciples. And what do his disciples do? Well, he sends them out to do the exact same thing that he was doing. He says, you go now, and you teach, and you preach, and you heal. So what we read in our text this morning is really a handoff from Jesus to his disciples And so he launches them out, and what do they do? What he told them to do, preach and teach and heal. And the picture is Jesus is doing all of this work through them. He's the one who's enabling them to do the mission. And so we'll get a picture here this morning for us, thousands of years later, as his disciples. What does this look like for us, that he would come to enable us and equip us and empower us, his church, to follow after him, to do what he did, to live on mission with him. And then he says in John 14, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these because I'm going to my father. A verse that absolutely confounds me in so many ways. He is enabling us to do greater works than he did. Like, we've read the Gospels. We've seen what he's done. How in the world, through his leaving and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, he leaves to give the Spirit to us so that we can live out the mission he's given us. Well, let's walk through our text this morning and see what this means for us. First thing we see is that we're called to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came with a very distinct and clear gospel message. And he wanted his disciples to see that the gospel of the kingdom is far beyond what they were imagining. They were imagining this kingdom that would be set up kind of locally, regionally, if you will. And he's saying, guys, you're you're missing it. It is far bigger than what you can imagine. Much like C.S. Lewis showed us uh, in Narnia, Jesus entered into a world what, where it's always winter, and it has been for so long. Always winter, but never Christmas. 
See, for every one of us with our families, our friends, our neighbors, our, our cities, our, our, our communities, every relationship in every way, we're burdened by what tragically is not the way that it's supposed to be. And beyond what we see with our eyes and, and read and, and, and hear the news in, in this world, it reveals so much more of the heartache and the horror, so much that it, it seems impossible to make sense of at times. And yet the message from Jesus to his disciples is, preach the good news. There is good news. The gospel of the kingdom brings warmth. The gospel of the kingdom brings light. Yet we live in this period and the tension of the now but not yet when it comes to history and when it comes to hope. Yet the gospel of the kingdom promises something more. That this wounded, broken world of ours that is seemingly winter all the time, that's not the last word. Christmas has come, <laughs> and Christmas is coming. It will not always be a winter, and so as we look at Jesus in his ministry and we see him casting out demons and healing the sick and raising the dead, we catch a vision like the disciples did of the coming kingdom. As we see him moving and teaching and working in power, we go, there's something there. He's up to something. They were starting to get a glimpse of just how big the gospel really is. And listen, faith family, my continual fear for us, including my own heart, is that we neglect to preach the gospel of the kingdom to ourselves every day. We lose sight of what it is and how big it is and what is coming. We, we've reduced the gospel to this golden ticket. It's a Willy Wonka theology of, well, I've got my ticket punched and so I know I'm good for heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not what we see in Scripture I can't say it any better than Tim Keller, so I won't try. His words, this, this world is not simply a theater for individual conversion narratives to be discarded at the end when we all go to heaven. No, the ultimate purpose of Jesus is not only individual salvation and pardon for sins, but also the renewal of this world, the end of disease and poverty and injustice and violence and suffering and death. The climax of history is not a higher form of disembodied consciousness, but that of a feast. Jesus is making all things new. He at this very moment is working his plan and his purpose to renew and restore this world. And he's invited you and I to play a role in that. And that's amazing. And you know what? That's really the deepest longing of every heart, isn't it? Christ follower or atheist alike, right? This desire that the broken things would be fixed, that the ache deep inside of us would be healed, that all the sad things would come untrue. Do you know this gospel of the kingdom? Have you staked your life upon it? Does it affect the reality of how you live your life out daily? Christ follower, you've received the hope 
of the world, not to keep it to yourself, but to freely give it away. The gospel was never meant to terminate with you. It was always a gift that we receive so that we could freely give it. Jesus' plan from the beginning was to entrust this gospel to a ragtag group of followers, which is us, so that the message of hope would go to the entire world. That's what he's invited us into. This is the gospel of the kingdom. The second thing we see from our text this morning is that we're compelled to move with compassion. Did you notice that Jesus sees what no one else sees? He looks out, and he just doesn't see faces and families. He certainly just didn't see a large crowd of people. He saw something deep inside them. He saw their inner being. He saw them at their core. He saw their brokenness. He could see that their lives weren't flourishing in a relationship with God. What does he say? He saw them as harassed, contextually, most certainly by the religious leaders of their day who were continually telling them, you'll never measure up, heaping rules upon rules. You'll never make it. You'll never uh, please God. But also helpless, right? By their own sin nature that separated them from a relationship with God, the sin, the selfishness, the brokenness of living in a fallen world. And what do we see? All of this moves Jesus deeply with this one word, compassion. This word literally means to be moved in one's stomach deep inside with pity. It's such a powerful word picture that we see here. In fact, we only see this word nine different times in the New Testament. What's interesting, that every single time that it is used, it's only used to talk about the compassion of Christ. It's never used, not even once, to describe the compassion of anybody other than Christ. So we've got to recognize that the compassion of Christ is not something that will come naturally to us. This is something, this isn't something that we're automatically going to have. The compassion of Christ is something that He places inside of us that flows out of His presence in us. We can't will this compassion up in our lives. It only comes from Jesus as the source. So we're continually challenged, what? To ask Him for it to come to him in prayer. Give us more of this place, this compassion inside us. And so this morning, all of us have to search deep within our hearts and ask ourselves, do we show this compassion? Do we feel this compassion when it comes to our unbelieving neighbors or coworkers, friends, or even family members? That's our need. Our need is to feel compassion because of their need. We need the compassion of Jesus to care and love like Jesus did. In 1960, Doug Melan and his wife were both Wycliffe Bible translators and missionaries, and they left the States and they moved to uh, a village in Brazil, a village of Funio Indians. 
And when he arrived, he was simply referred to as the white man. Well, that wasn't a compliment because they'd had other white men come and exploit them, burn their homes, rob them of their lands. But the Melans stayed. And they learned the local language. They began to help the local people with, with basic care and with medicine. And then all of a sudden, they started to call Doug the respectable white man. And then the Melans continued to live and work among them, adopting the customs of the people. It gave them even greater acceptance, and they started to call Doug the white Indian. Then one day, as Doug was washing the dirty, bloody, caked foot of an injured boy, he heard a bystander say to another, who ever heard of a white man washing an Indian's foot before? Certainly this man is from God. And from that day on, whenever Doug would go into a tribal home, it would be announced, here comes the man God sent for us. It wasn't until they saw him serve with a heart of compassion that they understood who he really was and what he was about. Isn't that what Jesus has done for us? Isn't that what Jesus has called us to do for others? Mark chapter 10 from the message. Jesus got them together to settle things down. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That's what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served. And then to give his life away in exchange for many who are held hostage. Where do we get this compassion? Where is this compassion made alive in us? To be able to see like Jesus sees. To be able to move with compassion like Jesus moves as he goes towards people. Well, Can I remind you of a parable he told in Luke 15? Remember that shepherd who had this flock of sheep, yet he loses one of them and he marshals all of his resources and energy, leaves the 99 behind. What? To find that one sheep. He's relentless until he finds that sheep. And just so you understand where you fit in this story, Jesus is our shepherd. He is that great shepherd. We're the lost sheep. Our compassion comes from remembering our story. We were lost, but praise God, we've been found. We had a great shepherd who came in our lostness, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, and he rescued us and found us and has brought us to the Father. Because we've been found with compassion, we want to help others find Jesus. Because we've been served by Jesus, we too want to serve the gospel to others. The third thing we see from our text this morning is that we're challenged to pray for gospel laborers. 
It's interesting to me that after describing this humanity that's helpless, harassed, this, this, this wave of lostness, if you will, Jesus doesn't challenge us to pray for them. He doesn't pray for the lost. He doesn't say pray for the lost to come to know the Father. That's not what He says here. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad to pray for those who don't know Christ. Obviously, uh, throughout Scripture, we would see that that's a crucial part of our prayer lives. And other places in the New Testament give us this picture, just not right here. Here, Jesus is saying, pray for the church. Pray for laborers. Pray that my disciples would take the mission that I've given them seriously. So don't miss this. Jesus' concern isn't that the lost wouldn't come to the Father. Jesus' concern was that the church wouldn't go to the lost. Can we sit on that for a minute? Jesus doesn't say pray for the lost because I'm concerned they might not make it to the Father. Jesus says pray for the church. I'm afraid they're not going to do what I've asked them to do. They're not going to go where I've asked them to go. What a challenge for each of us as we daily come before the Father in prayer. God, we pray to you, Lord of the harvest, raise up laborers among us for the advancement of the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And we pray specifically, God, how will you use us, this faith family known as Wildwood Church? May we be the ones that go. Similar to Isaiah, may our response be, here am I, Lord, please send me. Use me. Would you take that risk with me to make that your prayer this week? God, how might you use me? God, raise me up to be a laborer for the gospel. Whether that be here in Tallahassee or if you're calling me in some form or fashion, I want my response to be yes before I think of all of the excuses why I would say no. Do a work in my heart. Use me. Send me. Make me a laborer for the gospel. And here in these last verses, Jesus also gives us a picture of the harvest, and it may not be what you think it is. Because here the harvest is a picture of the coming judgment we don't have time to jump to all these texts, but you can take note of them. Isaiah 17 talks about the harvest as a time that God will bring judgment upon sin. Joel chapter 3, we have a very similar picture. In Matthew 13, you'll see Jesus talking about the harvest when it comes to the wheat and the chaff, those that will be a part of the kingdom, those that will be separated from uh, the kingdom, meaning there'll be groups. There'll be those who are lost in their sin, separated from God. And there will also be a group who have been redeemed by Christ. And then in Revelation 14, we, we see harvest imagery describing the time where God will send out everlasting judgment on people who are separated from God because of their sin. That's the harvest picture that we see here. So now we see why Jesus had such compassion for the lost. And why his challenge and his calling was so clear for the church. He's saying, get into the harvest field while there's still time. There's a coming judgment that's going to take place. And if you and I don't take the gospel to them, they will experience God's judgment on them eternally. 
That's why Jesus had compassion. That's why we're moved with compassion. That's why we're called to go. And so as we're praying for laborers, we're certainly keeping at the forefront of our minds, what you've even heard this morning, more than three billion people in the world who have little to no access to the gospel those three billion represented in some 7,000 unique people groups, meaning there's no gospel in their language, no scripture in their language, no missionary, no church, no pastor, no church planter, no access to the gospel. And there's so few people working to get the gospel to them because everybody's assuming somebody else is doing it. So pray, Jesus says. Pray earnestly that God would raise up gospel laborers, those that would be willing to step out, send them into the harvest. Can I ask you something? What would be different in this world if God answered every one of your prayers from last week? What would be different? Would there be any durable difference that would be visible in the world because of how you prayed? Or would it just be in your personal life? Faith family, let's pray with faith and with boldness for God to work in us and among us and through us. There's power at our disposal through prayer that we've only begun to tap into. And the more I wrestled and prayed and, and, and worked this passage, the more I just couldn't shake God's calling for our faith family to take this seriously, to place before you a challenge to pray and to fast this week. Would you take this week and take one meal out of your every day and simply fast and pray? Or would you take a half hour out of your every day this week to come before the Lord to raise up gospel laborers for the harvest? And the reason I would call for prayer and fasting is because Jesus taught us to and because we see throughout the church in all of its history at times of prayer and fasting, we're called out of desperation and desperate need. Fasting says to God, I want the answer to my prayer more than I want food in my stomach. And I'd invite you, if you're able, to join us for prayer right down the hallway in the church library. We'll be there from 12 to 1, noon to 1, every day this week, Monday through Saturday. Would we, Wildwood... Come this week in prayer and in fasting, say, God, how will you use us? How will you raise us up? God, how specifically will you use me? We want to pray boldly that God would use us to penetrate the world with the gospel. Can I ask another hard question this morning? Is the way that we're doing church right here at Wildwood helping us penetrate the world with the gospel? I've really been wrestling with the answer to that question. Is the way we do ministry here at Wildwood making an impact for the gospel on the world? Is how we do ministry, is it replicable? Is it exportable? 
Is how we spend our resources, is it consistent with the mission that God has called us to? You know, statistically here, U.S. churches will spend 80% of their budgets on buildings and programs and paid staff. And if we're being honest, have all that buildings and programs and paid staff moved the gospel forward to the ends of the earth? Or here in the States, has it created some kind of spectator mentality? Just come and see or come and be entertained. Come and just plug in. It's prevalent across the American church. And and as one of your pastors, hear my heart, I don't say any of this lightly. I so desire to be a part of the solution. We've got to ask the hard questions We've got to ask if what we're doing around here is actually helping us interact with lost people in our community and around the world. And you've got to ask the hard questions too. Hard questions of us as leaders, yes, but also hard questions of, it, of yourselves when it comes to your values and your priorities and your resources towards the mission of God. Well, so how do we do it? How do we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. How do we penetrate with the world of the gospel? I hate to oversimplify it, but it's really through the church being the church. It's remembering what we've been called to do. Each of us making disciples, giving our lives for the sake of others, spreading and multiplying the gospel. That's what we've got to give ourselves to. It's certainly time for the church to rise up and do what the church was created to do for our neighbors here in Tallahassee and certainly to the ends of the earth. Listen, Jesus knew that the temptation would be there in his church to do everything except the one thing he told them to do. And we've got to face that reality, that the temptation in all of our lives is to do everything except the one thing he's called us and commissioned us to do, and that's where we are. And so I just can't help to pray and believe that God's calling us to action, church, I've given some thoughts and application ideas on the sermon notes page of our website. I'll do that each week in this series. I encourage you to check it out. I encourage you to pray and fast this week. Listen, faith family, God has given us so much individually and as a church. He's put before us so many resources, so many opportunities, so much influence, and we're going to be held accountable to the God of the universe for how we've used those resources to expand his kingdom around the world. This mission includes you. Will you seek him this week? Will you join me in prayer and fasting, asking him to use us corporately, but also seeking him individually? How will you use me?